to our first candle of hope this morning. The plan, the title of this message is putting hope in God's timing. We need to do that. It's been an interesting year, as I mentioned, as we've all mentioned again and again, but uh, you know, I usually have a set, steadfast rule. I don't allow any Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and I usually don't allow the Christmas tree to be put up before Thanksgiving, but I broke my own rules this year. It just seemed like we wanted to go forward with it. So uh, I'm going to start with a passage here that may not seem much like a Christmas passage, but I'm hoping that you'll understand when we get through this why it is, because we're going to focus in on that. So I'm going to start out at uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, and we'll go through 4 7. So if you want to listen along. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. I want to hone in on Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Well, what does that mean, the fullness of time? Well, I want to take us for a moment in a little journey to think about what the situation was in the world when Jesus was born. And if we back up even a little bit before that, the clip that was there right before the service started was uh, Zechariah and John the Baptist being born. Uh, what was the situation there in the world at that time, particularly for the Jewish people, but at, it's more broadly as well? So first of all, they had had, as that video said, 400 roughly years of no words from the Lord, no prophets coming and saying, thus says the Lord. And we're going to call that the gap. If you put that next slide up for me, Riley. And of course, four things we're going to focus in on here that was about uh, things that were going in the world at that time. So we're going to call that the gap. The gap is roughly 400 year period of time from the last known prophet, you know, uh, which was probably Malachi. Uh, and we're going to talk about him in a bit. And the people haven't heard the word from the Lord. They had what was recorded before. It wasn't as though he had left them nothing, but there was this gap. 
The next thing is called the calm. Now, you may have heard this terminology or this may give you flashbacks to world history class from high school. And if you loved that, then this will be a nice flashback. And if you didn't love history, then I feel bad for you. But anyway, the word Pax, Pax Romana, P-A-X Romana, the peace of Rome. Okay? This is, I'm calling this the calm. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in the history. Then I want to talk about the fact that there are all these roads. Rome, you remember the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Rome had a system of roads, well-built roads. Some of those roads actually still exist today. They were built so well, 2,000 plus years, that they've lasted. And, and so we're going to look at these four factors in the world at that time. The gap, that's the period of time that the church, or the people of Israel, rather, had not heard from a prophet or a word from the Lord. The Pax Romana, which is the peace of Rome, or the calm. The track, which is the roads. And then the language, which is the speech. Um, and we're going to talk about all this. First, let's talk about the gap. Now, did God say nothing at all between Malachi and the Gospels? When we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we get to the end of the Old Testament, there's Malachi, and we turn one or two pages over, and now we're in Matthew. Did God say nothing between those Malachi and the Gospels? Well, we don't know that for absolute certain, but as far as what's recorded, even in Jewish history, Malachi would have been the, the last prophet for them still today. That's what they believe. And, uh, and that doesn't mean, though, that that was the last book chronologically in the Bible. So in the Old Testament, if you look through it, you'll see that it's kind of arranged like a library in sections, and, and uh, the last section is the prophets, there's poetic readings, there's the history readings, and all that. So anyway, Malachi wouldn't have been the last chronological chapter of the book, but it would have been the last prophetically. Um, he probably wrote it around the time of Nehemiah or Ezra. If you remember some years ago, we did our Sunday school class and did Nehemiah. Um, so we're not, at, we can't say with absolute certainty God didn't speak at all, but, but from everything we have, we don't have any record of him speaking through any prophets or anything that we have recorded uh, within that. Um, but the, the book of Malachi is our last recorded book in the prophet section. Well, what happened in the meantime between Malachi and the gospel? There wasn't just, you didn't just put two pages and now you were there. 400 some years between them. So Israel during that time was still waiting for Messiah. Uh, Jews that don't believe in Jesus Christ today, they still are waiting for the Messiah. Uh, so that was one thing that was going on. And then Rome had conquered the world, including Israel, and so uh, they had some autonomy, but they were still under the rule of Rome. Another thing that had happened during this time is, and we know this from if you study Nehemiah and Ezra, that sacrifices had resumed in the temple at this time. So there was, and we know that in the Gospels as well. Now I want to look at two parts of Malachi because Malachi prophetically spoke about two major people that are both involved in the Christmas story. One is John the Baptist, and the other is Jesus. And so let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. 
and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, Jesus himself quoted this passage and applied it to John. And there's also a passage in Isaiah that talks about one who would prepare the way may pass through the wilderness. And both of those are referred to in the New Testament as well. In so, here in Malachi 3.1, there's actually two messengers, if you look carefully. There's the one who prepares the way, and then there's the Lord himself, who is a messenger of the covenant. And then the book of Malachi ends with these two verses, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah. Now, who did Jesus say to the disciples that the Elijah to come was? John the Baptist, right? So here we go again, another reference to John the Baptist. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So most Christians look for Malachi to Matthew, as I mentioned, and they, they actually do see a connection, and there is a connection. Um, and so that's one of the things that we can look at, is the gap between those couple pages is actually 400 years. But the gap in how God was preparing everything really wasn't there at all. The next thing we want to talk about, the Pax Romana, the calm. Now, how does peace usually come when there's been conflict and you get to peace? What was in between? Usually war, right? And a victory. You don't have, a, you know, in fact, North Korea and South Korea are a good example of this, right? They're, it technically never ended the war, and they're still kind of sitting there, like, kind of at a state of war, but not really. Um, but peace comes when there's been a solid victory. In this case, Rome had conquered what they called the whole world at that time, but, but it's you know, a big section of the world. Um, but one thing that did happen because of that was a relative peace. Rome had a law and order emperor. Uprisings were put down. Riots were quelled. People lived in relatively uh, safety because in every region, in every town, there were soldiers. The soldiers were kind of like the, the police and everything all at once. So you can have comments on whether that's good or bad, but there was this relative peace. Rome governed well in many ways. Um, in a sense, the whole government was federalized. Uh, they didn't need police because they had soldiers to fill that role, whatever we may think of that in our context today. It can't be denied that in world history, that was a time of relative peace. Did that peace come at a price? Yes, it did. Because the Romans were very hard on crime. That's what crosses were all about, right? That's pretty rough punishment. You see someone dying on a cross, you're going to think twice about stealing an apple, aren't you? So, so yeah, there was a price to it, but there was a relative peace. Now, despite that peace, though, the Jewish people had this kind of sense of uneasiness. See, they were taught by Moses that they were to have what we would call a theocracy. God was supposed to be their main leader, and then he had would have priests or kings in different periods of time that would act on his behalf. But uh, they didn't like kind of being under the thumb of Rome. You see, it took some political savvy 
to be allowed to continue their worship, but at the same time, they have to be governed by Rome. And we know, I, I won't go too much into that, but uh, Herod, and, you know, there was a lot of conflict, and he tried to impose certain things to the priests. Priests would push back, but not push back too much, because they realized that ultimately he could destroy them. But this tension between the government of Rome and the Jewish people was an, caused an increase, probably, in, in their longing for the Messiah. They, they had always had this kind of desire. The prophecies were there. They wanted the Messiah. And they believed that the Messiah would come and free them from Roman rule and, uh, and give them what they thought they deserved. So, the next thing is the roads, or the track, I put on the slide here. For the first time in history, uh, this really deliberate road system, which was just massive, was created, and it spanned across regions and joined together parts of the world that previously would have been difficult to access. I remember my grandfather in, in telling me a story of, uh, I'm trying to remember the year he told me that it happened, but he was a young man and he bought a new Pontiac, remember that part of the story, um, and uh, this would have been like probably 1930s, I'm guessing, and he drove on this huge long trip to California, but it took a long time to get there. He didn't have the interstates, he didn't even have paved roads in many places, and, uh, and he went on this long journey. Today, we don't think much of driving from here to Mitchell and back in one day. In the days of uh, when Jesus was born, that would not have been something anyone ever even considered. Um, we also know that a vibrant economy requires a good transportation system, right? Because we've seen how roads and rails and airports and shipping ports allow a greater exchange of goods. If you're connected to an interstate uh, and you have a gas station, you're going to do better than if you're just off on uh, highway whatever, you know. You, you, you see what I'm saying there. So the roads increased uh, trade, they increased the ability of people to mingle with other people they otherwise might not, and connected people that were previously unconnected. And so because of this, Jews were spread out, but so were others, and in part, this led to a common language, and that's the next part, the speech. And that language was mostly Greek, Hellenistic Greek we would call it, and actually, a high number of people in that day were bilingual. Because you had to speak multiple languages if you wanted to do business, if you wanted to buy and sell to others across the culture, uh, you would have to speak the same language. So Greek became a common language in part because of trade. Now I want to go through some of the prophetic uh, and kind of pleading verses where people, the people were crying out to God for their salvation. The first one is Micah 7, 7. It says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Another one, and I didn't plan this way, but it was on Scott's reading earlier from Psalm 80. Since he read it already, I'll just jump down to verse 7. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your Face shine that you might that we may be saved. You see this longing for God to do something to intervene for the people and to bring about 
the Messiah. Isaiah 64, 1. Oh, that you would rent the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Isaiah literally writing, could you come down with us, God? And that's what Christmas is all about, right? We, we know Emmanuel, God with us. God came down. And interestingly, after Jesus was born, we find this story at the end of Luke chapter 2 of these two devoted servants of God who understood and they actually connected Jesus and, and identified him as the person that they had hoped for, the that they have been waiting for all this time. And I want to read those two passages from the end of Luke chapter 2. Uh, the first one is about Simeon. It says in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Well, that's an interesting he had it revealed to him that he would not die before the Messiah came, that he would see the Messiah was alive. And he came into the spirit and the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, and took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So there's Simeon. And then there's Anna. Starting in verse 36, it tells about her. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow, until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here's these two people that God chose to kind of enlighten, in a sense, to know that this baby Jesus was the, the hope that they had been waiting for. So we had the gap, that period of time between having a, a not really any words of the Lord, the peace, the calm, the tax romana, the roads, or the track, the language, the speech. And now we go back to Galatians 4, 4, and 5, and hopefully we'll understand that a little better. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So how can we, in our world today, with all the evil and strife, with all the disease and um, pandemic or whatever you want to call that and seeing what has happened how can we still be a people of hope well how could the writer of lamentations be a person of hope you, if you read the first couple chapters you might even just get depressed because he's writing about such horrible things that are going on and yet he showed the hope i read that when we lit the candle and and how could the people of god be a people of hope when they had been under Roman rule, and they had been restricted in how they could serve God and, and all of those things. How could Job be a person of hope? Who we studied in Sunday school this not too long ago, that lost everything, his children, his livestock, his, his house, um, everything. 
And yet he made that statement of hope, I shall see my Savior. I, I shall see him face to face. I know my Redeemer lives. How can we have hope in that situation? And how can we have hope today? We can have hope by remembering that God is faithful and will complete all things in his time. Our timing would be different, wouldn't it? You know, we watch a movie, we want the thing to be wrapped up in a nice bow in two hours, and we can go and just attend the movie and we can shed a tear or something. I remember the first time I ever saw the, the first of the Lord of the Rings movies in the theater, and I don't even know what year that was anymore, but before we had children, I know that. Um, but I had a friend, Warren, my good friend, Scott met Warren, actually, he was right to the Princess. Anyway, um, Warren was a huge Lord of the Rings fan, a huge uh, J.R.R. Tolkien fan. He read the books as a child over and over. He was so excited to go to Lord of the Rings. I had never read it before, and I wasn't really all that enthused, but we do this for our friends, don't we? And Janelle wanted to go too, and so we went to the Lord of the Rings, the first of the series. And since I had never read the books, and I didn't know the story, and I'll, I'm trying not to spoil anything in case someone here hasn't read or watched it and still wants to. But from my perspective, never having read the books, I watched this movie. By the way, it was three hours, roughly. And from my perspective, I walked out and I was like, what do you think? I said, I don't know, it's this guy running and people are always chasing him. And, you know, I, I don't know. You know. It didn't seem like it really ended. Well, that's because it's part one of three parts. And by the way, we now have the extended version. If you watch all three of those movies, you're talking about probably 12 hours, I'm guessing. Um, so it was hard for me because I didn't. I, I got. To, I spent the whole three hours watching this movie, and I thought I could no conclusion. And then I had to wait a whole year for the net. They come. They each came out around Christmas time. And then they had to wait till the next Christmas to watch the second one, and then we had to wait till the next. Now my kids had watched them and just watched them all in order, which was kind of nice for them, but we had to wait a year. Anyway, we want a resolution now. We want to end the story. Most people won't read like I will at 900 page Dickens now, because they don't want to take the time to go through all of that. Um, we want the happy ending now. We want everything resolved now. We want the thing done and complete, and, and yet we're told to have hope because we're supposed to know that in the end it will have everything come out the way God said it would. But we struggle in the meantime. And I think most of us, we've heard these Christmas readings that are, there's a number of them in Scripture from Isaiah to the Gospels and other Zechariah and some other passages that we often and I suppose we've all tried to imagine this scene when the angels appeared to the shepherds and try to think what that must have been like. It just had to be incredible. And I want to read that and then just comment about it a little bit. From Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, when we read this, at least for me, when I read it or I hear it or I see it in a play or I see it in a movie about Christmas or whatever it might be, we begin to imagine this kind of amazing experience. What would that have been like? I mean, we, we, most of us have seen some pretty amazing special effects. You know, we have modern technology and all this stuff. But put yourself in the position of someone who never held a cell phone in their hand, never saw an incandescent light bulb, much less an LED light bulb, and see this show. This was momentous. They were being told that this thing you've been hoping for, the hope of Israel, for all the centuries told up until now, is now being fulfilled. And yet, it wasn't the complete fulfillment. It was kind of, again, a phase, a part, a first part of it. You know, I've, I've often thought, as amazing that was, those shepherds had to go back to work after that. You know? Uh, kind of like after you had a big Thanksgiving dinner, you had to go back to work on Friday, right? Except, multiply that by a million. They have had prophecy after prophecy offering them this hope. And we've had those same prophecies. We can go and study them. And in the last chapter of the New Testament, I talked about the last chapter of the Old Testament. Let's go to the last chapter of the New Testament, Revelation 22. Just in that one chapter, three different times, in red letters, if you have a red letter Bible, Jesus says, I am coming. We see the hope in the ancient prophecies, the promised coming Messiah. We see it fulfilled in the fullness of time in Jesus, and we have his word that he will return soon. Can we then have hope? This Christmas season, in a year that's unlike any of us have ever seen, we are a people of hope. We need to share this hope with the world that desperately needs it. See, Jesus was born to end the gap. The gap between the time when God had made himself known through prophecy or through the word. Jesus was born to end that gap. Jesus was born in a time of relative peace in the world. During this time where things were relatively calm. There weren't any major wars or constant battles going on. And Jesus was born at a time when the gospel could be spread quickly because there was a what? A track, a road. They could, they could quickly go out. And the language, the speech. Now what did God do on the day of Pentecost about speech? He made sure that people from 15 different languages are listed in Acts chapter 2. And it says they all heard in their own language. So guess what? All of those 15 languages, for the most part, those are people that had traveled into Jerusalem, right? 
to the festival. And how did they get back home again? On roads. Some of those people probably came a lot further than they would have before those roads. They couldn't have. Now they did. Now those who experienced Pentecost were spread out. When the church began to get persecuted in Jerusalem, they spread out. Kind of like when you, when you look at uh, after Noah and they were supposed to spread out, they didn't. No, we're going to stay right here. So God came down and confused the language. In Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, the United People under Elijah's great dawning storm, which is a miracle that we never imagined fathoming that. But after he did that, he also scattered them because what did they, what did Jesus say? Go to all the world. And what did they do? Stay in Jerusalem. Persecution came, they spread out, and they had roads to go. The fullness of time. See how that all comes together. You see, God's timing is perfect. Even when we don't see it that way, we can trust in His timing. Put our hope in Him. That God will complete all that He has said He will do is assured to us because He promised it. When you can see three times anything in Scripture, we always say that. If you see anything three times in a short period of time in Scripture, it's something you're supposed to pay attention to. And in Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter of the New Testament, we have in red letters three different times our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ saying, I am coming soon. And we can hope that because of that, He will do what He has said. We can hope because of his faithfulness. And because of his love and because of his faithfulness, we can have a hope that brings about those next things that are going to be represented by these Advent candles. Today we lit the candle of hope, and then it's peace, and then joy, and then love. And as my sermon last week noticed, those things are linked together, aren't they? Faith, hope, Love and joy, they all come together. So when you have known the love of God, and when you've trusted in his faithfulness, then you will have peace and hope, not only in the year of pandemic, but any year, no matter what comes. And not only at Christmas time, but all the time, you can have that hope. Because you can trust God's word is true. And that's the most important thing that you need to know so that you can realize I almost was going to say you can be a people of hope I'm going to say instead you are a people of hope you just need to be reminded so whatever is bothering you in the world today whatever your hope in Jesus Christ Lord thank you for your word this morning I pray that you would visit us in a powerful and special way this Christmas season. That in our hearts we would be reassured once again that your word is true. That you would remind us again of your love for us. That we would realize that your faithfulness is what sees us through. Lord, may it be done. Please stand and join us in our closing hymn.